Let's go abroad. Let's talk China. Michael Shaul has the charts. He's the chairman, CEO, and portfolio manager and market field asset management. Michael, welcome back to the program, and good to see you this morning. We've got some China charts to go through. How is their recovery comparing to ours so far? Um, I mean, it's basically stronger. You know, most of the Chinese economy is now growing year over year. Uh, you know, their exports are uh, double digits, but, but domestically, you know, industrial production grew in September by 5.6% year over year, which is very close to its uh, pre-COVID levels. Pre-COVID industrial production was growing at about 6%, you know, 6% year over year. Um, retail um, is just on the positive side year over year. You know, that's still a, a, a lower trend growth than you were used to pre-COVID, but, but you know, anything up year over year, you know, is pretty impressive. And, you know, I think this is largely being driven by a, a very targeted, um, you know, domestic stimulus, you know, which is being funded with, with massive issuance of, of debt by local governments. Is it still arriving? Is there incrementally new stimulus coming from China? or Because we know here we're kind of on hold right now. We're kind of stuck. How does that compare to the status there? Well, I mean, here we're stuck fiscally, but you still have a lot of fiscal spending and you still have massive monetary support from the Fed, as I'm sure will be reiterated this afternoon. You know, in China, rather than turning on all the spigots at the same time, which is what they did post Lehman, what they've done is a, is a very targeted um, expansion of credit. And it's really, you know, generally credit is, is, is generous, but, but where it's really, you know, gushing out is this, this category of lo local government debt issuance. And, you know, you never get told exactly what that's, what that's being spent on. But again, if you go through all the data, what seems to be happening is, is you're really generating tremendous infrastructure spending, particularly in, in, in the service sector, in the tertiary sector. That tends to be education, tends to be things like sports stadia, you know, tends to be um, quite commodity, you know, quite commodity friendly. Um, and uh, you know, so it's, a, it's a very interesting time because if you, if you think about the physical economy in the U.S., um, areas like such as durable goods and home building is very strong. Physical economy in China looks to be very strong. This is arguably the first time since 2005 that, that both the world's two biggest economies are seeing a, a, a sort of above-trend expansion of their durable sectors. So we see they've crossed into positive territory for some of these year-over-year -year rates. Uh, when you look at the potential to keep going, is it obvious China will be able to return to pre-COVID levels? There was already obviously a lot of concern among investors. It's always kind of been there, sometimes unfounded about the China slowdown. Does, what does this do to that overall trajectory? You know, rather like the U.S., COVID has been very disruptive. So I don't think the Chinese economy in late 2020 or mid 2021 looks like it did in, in, in 2019. But I think overall it is expanding. As I say, it's going to be more driven by the public sector than it was a year or two ago. This, this category of infrastructure spending, I think is going to be very important. I don't think retail sales will be a trend. But again, if you think about China's sort of heavy economy, its industrial economy, which really has lagged for the last five years or so, um, you know, I think that's where you're going to see that's where you're going to see the pickup in activity. Um, and so, you know, it, it's almost like, as I say, where we were 15 years ago. But you know, but China was a tremendous boost for external economies feeding its industrial sector. Um, you know, I, I think that might we, we might see a bit of a replay of that, that kind of a story. 
So, Michael, we know we have different economies in terms of the primary forces. The U.S. a very services one. How much of this is China's manufacturing-centric and uh, you know, industrial productive economy that maybe doesn't require the same uh, restrictions in a COVID world? Or are they just foregoing those restrictions? I mean, we know we haven't had any big flare-ups in China, so is it back to normal? Or is this a function of the style of economy there that was able to come back a little bit more quickly? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's both. Um, you know, China's service economy is only just, or pre-COVID was only just more than 50% of, of total GDP. You know, whereas here it's more like 70, 80%. Um, you know, and I think in both cases, as I say, it's the industrial economy which has been able, you know, which has been able to, you know, been able to rebound and is, is stronger today than it was arguably pre-COVID, certainly as far mm -hmm. as output's concerned. Um, you know, in, so in China's case, you know, also medically, they're in a better place. They do have much less infection. Their lockdowns are, are less intrusive. Um, and so again, their service sectors are not back to normal, but are much, much closer to normal than, you know, that is the case in the U.S. Now, you know, medically in the U.S., if we can avoid a, you know, a second wave, I think you, you do have room for improvement in the service sector. But, but this is... You know, I've said this for months, COVID has been more disruptive than destructive for economic activity. Mm. And you're beginning to see that with this metaphor that everyone's coming out with of a K-shaped recovery. Um, you know, and I, I think that's going to continue to be the story. But I think I think globally, it's going to be the durable goods economy that, that, that rebounds. It's going to be that portion of the economy, which is the biggest beneficiary of low interest rates. Um, and I think in the end, you know, fiscal stimulus and we're gonna be fighting like crazy to get the service economy somewhere close to where it was 12, 12 to 18 months ago. And it's gonna be a struggle to do that. Michael, in terms of which way the supply chain moves in our relationship with China, at least kind of from the layman's economist perspective, most of the production we're consuming from China, right? They're not reliant on our exports necessarily as much or how is this dynamic going to play out now as their production snaps back to industrial pre-covid levels how does that compare if we're not able to do that is the disruption then there's demand that we're uh, that, that we have they can fulfill or is there demand they need from us that we can't fulfill what are those sort of dynamics right now in terms of their speed of recovery next to our weaker one well, again, uh, you know, in the U.S., the recovery of demand for durable goods is extremely strong. True. You know, if you went back to if you went back to the Great Financial Crisis, it took six years for durable goods spending to get back to its 2000 and level, 2007 level. This time around, it took about six weeks. And spending on durable goods, which is what China exports to us, is much higher today than it was, you know, than it was a year ago. So mm. the U.S. is supplying plenty of demand to China. Um, you know, I think China's industrial sector has recovered, you know, at, at least as fast as, you know, uh, you know, at least as fast as the region. You know, the one thing that China needs from us is, is specifically within, within technology, the whole semiconductor story. And I, I think if there is a, a, a flow up in tension between the U.S. and China, you know, I think it clearly is going to be around the issue of China's access to semiconductors. And I, I think that's the battle for 2021, no matter who wins the presidency. So we've moved from having this very COVID-specific discussion to one that is kind of back more towards policy and trade potential as opposed to supply chain disruptions. 
Yeah, I think that is that is the case. I think China is able to supply what the U.S. demands at this point in time. Mm. Uh, Michael, uh, in the context of the Fed, just before we let you go here in terms of what this means for price activity, it seems like while there's not a big flare-up in inflation yet, we're warming. It's more a story. It seems that the deflation calls are not coming to fruition. Do we put that theory behind us at this point, the deflationary one that many were worried about in COVID? Yes. Yes, I mean, very simply, yes. COVID is, as I say, disruptive rather than destructive. And, and what we're actually dealing now with is, is clear signs of asset price inflation within the domestic housing market. And, you know, reports in that sector about costs accelerating. So, as I say, I, I think we're, we're certainly dealing with a narrow re reflation and a narrow inflation of certain goods and services. Whether that turns into general reflation and general inflation isn't clear yet, but, but deflation completely off the table. Okay. Uh, Michael, good thoughts and thanks for joining us. Anything you're looking for from the Fed this afternoon? No, I, you know, I think Jackson Hole told you what they're going to be saying and, and whether the dot is 2023 or 2024, um, you know, anything more than 12 to 18 months, it really doesn't matter what the Fed's saying. All right. Always a good chat. Michael Shawell, Chairman. CEO and Portfolio you. Manager, thank you, at Market Field Asset Management. Deflation, a thing of the past. Trade back as being the major focal point for seeing how China's recovery in the U.S. in tandem maybe can go smoothly or with hiccups.